Behind every success story, there is a long line of triumphs and defeats that remain hidden from others. These stories get condensed into journeys that minimize the struggle and wrap up with a happy ending. But we know that's not how life works. That's where From the Ashes with Mark Azoulay comes in. On today's show, you'll hear honest conversations about the challenges that Mark's guest faced and how they overcame adversity. Now, here is your host, Mark Azoulay. Welcome back to the show. I'm your host, Mark Azoulay, and I'm sitting here with Nick Wingo. You're a podcaster, an author, a coach, and what really kind of stood out is that you have an experience as a um, firefighter and paramedic and went through, you know, PTSD and, and learned to heal that through the use of breath work. So I'm really interested to hear your story. Nick, welcome to the show. Uh, thanks, Mark. I really appreciate the invite onto the show. I'm glad to be here. Um, yeah, I've had uh, quite the incredible journey over the past 20 years of my life. That's for sure. Yeah, I'm really fascinated to see that people that kind of work in, you know, frontline, like trench work, kind of open up to more Eastern practice or more kind of like esoteric practice. It's always a really fascinating story for me. Yeah, totally. And, you know, and so I'm such an oddball because I'm this like really masculine, uh, tattooed, bald, bearded dude. I'm <laughs> yeah. a Christian. Um, so I'm so outside what the normal um, individual would be to come into this type of work. So. But the 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 breath work, the some of the things that I've done have been so powerful and has has helped me so much um, that it's really just changed my life completely. Yeah, it's really cool to because you know I I went to uh, Naropa University in Colorado, right? Like the Buddhist University in Boulder, which is like hyper left, like a lot of hippie people. Um, but I came from totally. Pittsburgh, and I was very similar to you, where I was like kind of like you know big. I was a power lifter at the time, cigarette smoking, you know, carnivore. Um, and learning this stuff, I was very skeptical. I didn't want any kind of like woo-woo. I didn't want any kind of like magic. You know, I was really afraid of like, I think being like taken advantage of like kind of like snake oil or something. Um, did you come in with a similar level of cynicism when you started to oh, learn totally. about this stuff? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, if you would have told me 10 years ago that I would be uh, where I am right now, I would have told you that you lost your mind. I mean, I'm so different than I used to be. I had, I, you know, I grew up in a very, um, very regimented Christian home where things were very judgmental and people were a very certain way. And I'm so outside of that now. It's, I'm completely opposite. And in fact, I, one of my speak, my speaking coach is a black uh, gay man that I work with and I, I love him. He's so great. And I would have never been able to do that when I was in that yeah. other part of my life, you know? So. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's wild to like see both like the physical transformation and kind of the emotional transformation. So yeah, let's dive right into your story. I'm really excited to hear about totally. it. So tell me, uh, what's your From the Ashes story? Yeah, so you know, I, I grew up in Colorado. Um, I was the I was the athlete. I was, you know, I was a football player. I was fairly, fairly popular. Uh, I got out of high school and I, was, I wanted to join the military, but um, I got disqualified because of my asthma. So I went to becoming a firefighter because that was a way I felt like I could serve. Mm -hmm. um, so I stepped into the fire department at 18 years old, um, right after I got out of high school, I went to college to get my fire one, my EMT, and then I became a resident firefighter up in, uh, actually, um, snake, it was called snake river fire. It was Keystone, uh, Keystone at the time, uh, that department merged with, um, another department became Lake Dillon and now it's summit fire authority. I spent, um, 10 years up there and I got put into something that I had no idea what I was getting myself into. I thought I was getting myself into something where I was going to be, uh, you know, the women were going to be, want to be with me and the men were going to want to be me. 
because I was a firefighter. <laughs> I was a hero, right? And man, I was in for a rude awakening because when I stepped into it right away, um, I recognized and realized what I was really going to be dealing with. And it was death and pain and destruction and loss. And nobody tells you that when you come into the fire department, nobody really, t- they're starting to now because there's a change in the, in the mental health and, and realizing that we need to have a more focus on mental health. But when I was coming in, you know, I remember vividly, we went on this call, it was this child who passed away, <clears throat> young kid. And um, we got back in the, in the engine and, and the officer said, well, that sucked. And I go, yeah, that did suck. And he goes, well, this is just part of the job. This is what you signed up for kid. And that was it. Like wow. we, don't, we don't share That's emotions. That's all you got. Yeah. That was it. That was yeah. it. Like we don't share emotions. We don't share our feelings. We, we just, because if you do, you're weak. And if you're weak, you can't do the job. Right. Mm-hmm. And so that stuck with me my entire career. So over the next 18 years of losing several, several coworkers, actually half of one crew. Um, I, I've lost over 10 coworkers mm-hmm. when, in my career. And, um, one, one crew I was working with for three years, one guy fell off a roof, landed on his pack and killed him instantly. Another guy from that crew, he got a brain tumor, started having seizures and committed suicide. Ooh. And so I was just dealing with all this death and destruction and all these things. And I was suppressing all my emotions, all my feelings, right? Because they weren't safe. They weren't good. They weren't welcome. And it came to a head during COVID. So COVID came, there was two different times where people tried to stab me. Um, I witnessed teenage suicides, uh, domestic violence, murders, some of the most brutal suicides I had seen in my career. And I was starting to have nightmares, brutal nightmares. I wasn't sleeping. Uh, it was about an eight year period where I was sleeping about two hours on average a night. And so I looked at my partner and I said, Hey man, I'm having nightmares and I can't sleep. And he was like, Ooh, that's not good. And I'm like, yeah, I know, man, this, this job is starting to wear on me. He went and told the captain, the captain said, Hey man, you gotta, you gotta take a day off from work. And my initial thought was great. Screw you people. I'll take my day off work. Mm-hmm. Like, um, thank you for my day off. And, you know, basically kiss my ass. I'm going to go take my day and, and be away from this crappy place. Cause it's not fun to be at. Well, six weeks later, my dad died. Mm-hmm. So I, I, at that point I realized like all these emotions and feelings that I had been shoving down, those were, um, there, they were real and I couldn't hold them back anymore. Mm-hmm. And so over the next, um, several months, I started to have suicide ideations. I had all these things that I was dealing with that I had never dealt with. So I landed in treatment. Excuse me. I uh, went to treatment for 35 days in a place called the Center of Excellence. It's a duly, it's actually the only duly certified facility specifically for firefighters. Mm-hmm. They do both substance abuse and post-traumatic stress. Um, I went and took a pause from life. I took a 35-day timeout. While I was there, I realized that I couldn't go back to the fire department, that I didn't have it in me to be there anymore. I was, I had had enough. And so um, when I got out of treatment, I applied for disability. And um, when I got back, actually, I had written uh, a passage while I was in, in, in treatment and it was called, who am I? It was this question I was asking myself, like, who am I really? Am I this, am I a firefighter, paramedic? No, who am I? Am I all the death, all the destruction that I've seen? No, that's not who I am, right? And I realized that I, I just am. And so I took that passage, and while I was in treatment, there was this this guy there that uh, kept on coming to me and asking me, like, hey, it seems like you're really getting this stuff. Like, why are you understanding it? What am I missing? 
Um, and I kept on trying to help him. Well, he committed suicide around six to eight weeks after we got back from treatment. And it was at that point that I realized like, I have to stand up and say something and do something so that other people can know what's happening. And I really need to figure this thing out because if I don't, I'm going to end up there. And while I was there, um, you know, there's, there's guys, there's people there, that are there their second or third time. And I thought to myself, like, no, thank you. I did 35 day treatment. I'm not doing that again. So I started going out and seeking anything I could to, um, you know, to manage my post-traumatic stress. And I wrote a book um, because I I felt like the book was a great way for me to share with other people. Like, Hey, if you're struggling, if you're going through this, like, here's a way to look at it differently. Here's a way to, because I felt like I couldn't share with that, with that man that died. However, this book was the way for me to share and express what I was going through and how I was working through it. So, and now here I am um, two years out of post-treatment, um, I've, I've traveled the world learning about breath work. I went to Ibiza, Spain, learned from um, one of the most influential people in the breath work space. His name is Naraj Naik. He does Soma breath work. Um, I've participated in a bunch of Wim Hof, Wim Hof breath work. I do conscious connected breath work. Um, and so that's one of the modalities that I use to manage my post-traumatic stress because I believe that, at least for me, I know there's some people that say that the post-traumatic stress will eventually go away. I've not experienced that yet. And I just think it's something you manage moving forward. So, yeah. I mean, what a really powerful story. I mean, first, Nick, I wanted to say, I'm really happy that you survived. You know, it sounds like you were around a lot of loss, both, you know, from the job and from, I guess mental health is also from the job really, right. From PTSD claiming a victim. So I'm happy that you went through it and were able to, you know, go for help, right. And able to go to that treatment program. That was really helpful. Um, There's a lot of great topics there. I want to take you back. I think to the firefighter and to that kind of like stuff it down mentality, you know, um, I'm a psychotherapist myself. I work with almost exclusively men and a lot of what I do is kind of what your story is, which is like deprogramming toxic masculinity and helping guys get in touch with their feelings and realizing that we have to manage it, right? We have to manage mm-hmm. it in a way that we can let it out, that we can process it, that we can get information from our feelings and that they're not a weakness, right? Weakness actually, at least in my opinion, is pushing it away, is running from it. Whereas a courageous thing is like facing those things, looking your demons in your eye and like dealing with them, right? There's nothing more masculine than fighting a dragon, right? Hiding, hiding from the dragon or pretend the dragon isn't there is pretty cowardly in my opinion. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'm curious how you made that shift of deciding to be more courageous, right? And deciding to really face some of these awful stories. I know you just gave us a survey, but I imagine that it was pretty terrible to see some of those things, right? Because you're seeing, you're seeing everybody's worst day. Right. And you have like everybody's worst day is your whole life back to back to back is how I kind of see that, you know? Yeah, totally. Um, so, you know, I just want to touch on something like this whole yeah. masculinity thing, this, this toxic masculinity thing for me, I don't believe that masculine is toxic. Mm-hmm. I believe that masculine is just unable to, the thing with men is that, and this is what I realized about me, right. And this is where my journey has been is that the masculinity is we, we as men lose our ability to touch the feminine piece of us. And so, so much of my journey has been understanding how to embrace the feminine piece of me because the yin and the yang, right? There's there's big masculine and then a little bit of feminine and then there's big feminine and a little bit of masculine. And so my journey has been um, learning how to embrace the lover inside of me, right? And so and I, I talked to this lady the other day. She said, lover is a sexual thing. By definition, I said, no, if you look at it, 
there's two definitions to it. It's not just a sexual thing because people say lover and they, they tend to go that way. Lover is something you have great passion about, right? And so I've learned how to embrace the lover inside of me while being the warrior. And when you can understand that, when you can get to that point where you can be this, this masculine man, this warrior who is able to de-armor and be a lover, that's where a true man should be. That's where the true power in a man is. And we lose that and we miss that. And so, so much of my work has been um, figuring out what that looks like for me. That's where I, that's where I've gone. And that's where I spend a lot of, a lot of my time is learning how to be softer because I was so hardened because of all these things, right? It was such this, this hard thing where I had to be this tough shell because if I wasn't, I was weak. And that was so far from the truth. That was, that's just not it, mm-hmm. right? We're missing it when we think we need to be hard and because we think we're protecting ourselves. We're not protecting anything. We're, and, and actually what happens is we cause more damage, right? Because we, 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 we as men, we, we're protectors. That's our general, our, our, that's the way we, we generally live, right? But when you separate from that and you go, ooh, I'm not protecting anything, not me or anyone else around me. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. I think we're saying the same thing. I think it's, it's going to be a really good conversation. Um, are you familiar with the Jungian ar- archetypes like King, Warrior, Magician, Lover? Are you using some of Yeah, that? definitely. That's a lot Language. of my men's work that I do. Yeah. 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 And that's the work that I that I do with guys too. And yeah, I think when I say toxic masculinity, again, like you said, it's not that masculine is toxic, but I think it's like that warrior energy is the dominant one by far. Totally. And it totally pushes out Lover, Magician, King, all of that. Yeah, um, absolutely. And I just it's just such a big thing for topic for discussion lately, you know? And so it's just something I think that's always good to to touch on. Yeah. I think we have to, right? Because, you know, I think feminism for its, you know, positives and negatives has at least moved the conversation forward around what it means to be a woman and how to do that. And men, I think we did, you know, to some extent, sit back and listen, which was part of our role. But in some ways we were really quiet. And I think there was a lack, you know, when I grew up like in the nineties and early two thousands, I didn't really have strong masculine role models. I think masculinity was really in this kind of crisis. Um, totally. And when I look at now, when I look at, you know, things like the incels, I don't know if you're aware of them, the uh, involunt- involuntary celibate people online um, or, you know, people that are trying to be these alpha dogs or, you know, these like totally. beta cucks, like all this kind of discourse around masculinity. It's like, it doesn't have an anchor around mm-hmm. like what, you know, the kind of Naropa word to be kind of divine masculinity, right? Which incorporates all of those archetypes and you're able to kind of move right and be a fighter and be a killer when you need to be and be a tender sweet lover when you need to be be a leader when you need to be and works the magic every once in a while right like being able to fully pick up whatever weapon whatever tool you need and have mastery over it that's not an easy thing to master either right like nobody taught us like you're saying right now like nobody taught us this yeah i mean i don't know about you but i i sure learned what i thought masculinity was like i learned how to be hard and 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 you know really abrupt and i knew how to pick up my sword <laughs> like I, I definitely understood that part yeah so where did you learn that from like is this from your your father growing up or from media movies like how did you kind of get you know the it initial was, conditioning i mean it was from my dad for sure that's yeah. where it started but then it transitioned it's so much of it is in the fire department like so much of that was just like, because, you know, you gain all of your messages as a child, as a little boy, and then you reconfirm those. And we don't have a full frontal lobe development until we're the age of 26, right? And so I was in this this phase from 18 to 26 where I had no full frontal lobe development. 
So I didn't understand how to process trauma anyways. And then I'm being told how to do it basically by the things I'm seeing around me. So all my messages got reconfirmed in that seven year time frame. And it was, I mean, it, it's been something that's been difficult to work through for sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, so tell me a little bit about the breath work. I have a direction I want to go with it, but I want to hear first, like, how did you discover that? How did you, what was it like when you first did a practice? Totally. So I, um, I can't share this without kind of sharing how I got to it. Um, yeah. So when I got out of treatment, I went and used ketamine and psilocybin treatments. Those are what got me off from my pharmaceuticals. And then I was at this point of like seeking something to help me on a daily basis manage my post-traumatic stress because you can't use ketamine or um, psilocybin or these things on a daily basis. These are some things that are just tools to help you to get to your next step, right? Um, and so I bumped into the breath work through Wim Hof actually. And I started doing Wim Hof and I had asthma and my asthma like completely went away. And I was like, wow, that's wild. Um, and I started having these pretty wild experiences when I was doing these breath holds and I can hold my breath pretty long, um, considering now that I was asthmatic. And so then once I did Wim Hof, I was like, man, there's really something behind this breath work. So then I went into Tulum, Mexico and I learned conscious connected breath work. And then I learned like, oh my goodness, like I can do open mouth breathing. I can have psychedelic type of experiences and go deep into subconscious mind and reprogram and let go of trauma. I'm like, this stuff's great. Conscious connected breath work you cannot do every day though. Like this is something you can do maybe you know once or twice a month, in my opinion. And there's other people that say it differently. Um, so then from there, I was still like, this is just I don't feel fully complete. And this is where I bumped into Soma Breathwork. And so so uh Soma Breathwork is Narajnik. He is a friend of Wim Hof. He does Wim Hof's he produces Wim Hof's music. So I went to Ibiza, Spain. I spent 10 days with Naraj and learned Soma Breathwork. Soma Breathwork is visualization to um, music with extended excels, um, breath holds, and ohm chants. It's really powerful stuff. This is something you can do on a daily basis. I really enjoy it. The music is fun. There's dancing involved. It's a lot of somatic movement. Uh, and so I just really enjoy it. And I really enjoy um, actually coaching it um, because I get this great opportunity to um, give this really amazing, great experience to people. So. Yeah, that, that's really cool. You know, and it's, yeah, I think we went just where I was thinking, right? Because when I think of this masculine warrior mentality, right? Follow me here. It's like, it's so body focused in one way, right? It's like, be strong, kick ass, be like a brick house, right? Just be like a bulldozer, like get in there, crush it, come out, right? Like lifting sports, you know, all that kind of stuff, right? But then I found for trauma healing, I'm curious your experience with that. It is also body-based, right? But in a completely different way. Right. It's not oh. about like the brick house body. It's about like listening, being in touch, moving more intuitively. Um, and I think it's it's a wonderful dichotomy to see somebody who I imagine you were very physical. I imagine you start a very physical individual, right? And then to have to transition to this other way of relating with your body. Yeah, totally. You one, with that? Yeah. Oh man, so much so. So one of my the biggest things that I've learned and one of the things I coach on is actually feeling your heartbeat. Um, because we, as men, we disconnect from our bodies, right? And here's the problem with that is our vagus nerve is what connects our organs to our mind. And what's really interesting is that it actually connects in the part of our brain where our ego, our thoughts, all those things live. And it's, it's 20% communication mind to body and 80% communication body to mind. 
And so when you disconnect from your body, you're disconnecting from your organs, you're disconnecting from all the things and you get stuck in the brain, right? And so when you learn how to reconnect with the body, um, it's, it's really powerful to reconnect with your body. And I do that by feeling my heartbeat. And so what I do is I, I coach people to, to focus down. And so when you get in the breath hold, I tell you to close, you know, you're, you're closing your eyes and you focus all your energy down into your fingertips and you begin to feel the pulses in the fingertips. And then you go to the feet and search the feet. And then you can actually become this one pulsation in your body. And so when you're in this breath hold, you can become this one pulsation that's like floating on a cloud. And it's an amazing feeling. It's, it's so connective. And so that's been such a big part of my practice is reconnecting back to my body and being okay with my body. Yeah. So what are some of the long-term benefits you've reaped from this, right? And you get kind of like that bliss in the moment, but then how does it trickle out into your life? Oh man, it, it improves your immune system. It, it helps with your anxiety. It helps with your depression. It, um, you know, it, it, when you're when you're doing these things, it's helping you to be present in your moment, right? And that's what so many people are missing as we run through life, and we are completely somewhere else all the time. And when you learn how to be right here, right now, that's where the power in life is because this really is the only moment we have. And so it's helped me to just be right here with you right now, because the whole rest of my life, I was always somewhere else thinking about another thing, worrying about something else. And so when you have this tool that you can use to just be right here, it's so powerful. Yeah. I love what you're saying, right? Cause there's so much juice in the moment, right? And there's so much information and there's something from Zen Buddhism that I've always loved, which is essentially the practice of the next right action which is you don't really have to plan too much as long as you're super present, which is a big asterisk, right? But if you're present, the next right action just becomes clear and you're just doing the next right thing, next right thing, next right thing, next right thing. And that will lead to success. Um, but I think it's so counter to a lot of the messages that we get of like just cerebral overload that you're talking about, right? Of just like plow forward, bulldoze, don't stop. Totally. Yeah. hundred percent. And when you, I mean, I, I mean, I was, I, 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 can't even believe really how powerful being in the moment is. Mm -hmm. It's so crazy to me. Like I have conversations with people all the time and they're like, why is it that you like, why, what's this thing that I just really resonate with you? And it's like, cause I'm just being really present with you and just hearing everything you're saying. And most people don't do that for you. I'm sure. Right. Yeah. Like, you're actually connecting, right? which is pretty crazy. Um, yeah. Well, on that note, we're going to move to our first commercial break. Uh, when we get back, I think there's a lot of stuff we can talk about. I think we're going to chat more about masculinity, chat more about the archetypes, um, talk about how you know to bring breath work to the masses. And I think also how to package it for somebody that it might be outside of their norm, right? And trying to normalize it and not making it like a spiritual thing or a woo-woo thing for people. Because this is just a tool at the end of the day. So a lot of good stuff coming. Um, if you're listening, hang on. I'll catch you on the other side of the break. In Mark's work with high performers and business owners, it is becoming increasingly clear to him that their biggest obstacle to success is themselves. They are experts in their field, but are dragged down by their anxiety, poor time management, inability to focus, or self-sabotage. His role is to help you overcome these emotional and organizational issues so that you can truly excel in your business and your personal life. One of the most common hurdles that he sees is perfectionism, a crippling anxiety around performance. 
It's a fear of not being good enough, being publicly embarrassed, or of disappointing others. These fears paralyze brilliant people and bring them to their knees. This course will help you to break free from this mental prison and have more agency in your world. In this online course, we will break down the prison of perfectionism so that you can break out of it. For more information and to sign up, visit mark-azulay.teachable.com. That's mark, M-A-R-C, dash, azulay, A-Z-O-U-L-A-Y, dot, teachable, dot com. You are listening to From the Ashes with Mark Azoulay. To reach the show today, please call 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. Or send an email to podcast at mark-azoulay.com. Now, back to From the Ashes. Welcome back to the show. I'm here with Nick Wingo, and we're talking about a lot of stuff, trauma, masculinity, breathwork, healing, you know, getting in touch with your body. Um, some of that stood out to me on the body thing. I'm curious if this was true in your experience. So for me, it was, it was through yoga and meditation were kind of my gateways to it. And when I first got into it, I thought it would be like they have it in the movies or in the cartoons where you're like, you know, oming on top of a mountain. You're like open up to the universe. You like see God's face, like Mufasa or something, right? Um, that was not the case for me. For me, it was like unbelievably painful um, and emotional. It was sad. I would actually cry during yoga. There were parts of my body that just felt like kind of like fucked up for lack of a better term, like unable to move, kind of like crusty, junked up. You know, there was a lot of like emotion and sadness physically in my body. And again, if you had told me five years before that I would believe that emotion lived in, in my, in my body, I'd be like, no, that's not scientific. That's not real. That's not, doesn't make any sense. Um, but I'm curious if you've had that experience of really seeing like internalized emotional trauma in your physicality. Oh, totally. I mean, I, I think that, you know, from my experiences is that we, we store our trauma in our body. Like that's where our, our, our trauma is stored. So when we, have a, an emotion arise and we block it. I believe that it gets imprinted on our system mm -hmm. and it gets locked. Men, they generally hold their trauma on their hips. Um, and so like, I believe that once you start to do these things and unblock them um, and release those things from your body, it is incredibly difficult. There was an incredible amount of frustration, fear, judgment, um, like, why am I doing this? Um, sadness, all these emotions that I didn't even realize I had, right? Like that has totally been my experience. And yeah, it, it is meditating. I, I'm still working on meditating. This is why I use the breath work because the breath work helps me to get in a meditative state much easier because me just sitting there and like repeating, a, a, you know, a, a mantra or something, I'm just not there yet. So um, that's why the breath work has been powerful for me, but I see the power of meditation. I see the power in the yoga. I do use yoga. I do stretch and it's totally been my experience through it. Yeah. I think, um, you know, there's a great saying from Buddhism. It's like, there's 10,000 doors to the Dharma. So it's like, it doesn't really matter what you do as long as you keep doing it, right? As long as you have the consistency. Um, and for me, meditation was very similar. And for listeners out there, it can be really discouraging when you first start. 
right? But, you know, for me, I just start with like heated power yoga, right? Like working out with a bunch of like workout moms in like a dark room with like Beyonce playing, doing like yoga at 85 degrees. Like I need that, like, that level of stimulation to be able to actually calm myself down. But I found that as I'm more calm and more present, I can do lower levels of stimulation. And meditation is one of the lowest because you're just sitting there breathing. There isn't a lot going on. Um, but I think if you have an active mind, something like breathwork is a great entry point, right? Because it gives you a little bit more to bite into, right? A little bit more to do. Um, totally. I mean, that's been, that was my story as I started out with yeah. meditation and I was like, this is not working. I'm not getting anywhere. I'm just getting caught in my monkey mind. I'm getting so frustrated. And then the breathwork was like, oh, okay. And then now I'm able actually to meditate. Like I, I, I sit in the sauna and meditate in the sauna in the morning, um, and that's that's where I've been able to now after I mean it's been a year and a half of constant breath work every day for me to even get to the point where I'm like okay I'll get this meditation thing a, a shot so yeah so let me ask you this like how did you keep the consistency going because I think a lot of people get discouraged when either they hit that pain wall that you and I are talking about or they don't see like immediate result because these things are kind of subtle and they're kind of non-linear. Um, mm -hmm. So what, what kept you going? What kept you doing breath work every day? That's pretty impressive. Yeah. I'm just, I'm a really disciplined individual and I'm just not like many other people. And so I just, <laughs> I'm, just I'm just not like, yeah. I, I just, everything I do, I do to the extreme. It's just always who I've been. Um, and I just, I understand, like, I understand that you have to have atomic habits, right? Like that's one of my favorite books. Um, Steve Clark does a really good job of, of explaining what it looks like to have those habits. And I understand that. You are never going to get what you want if you don't take the small steps every day, right? We, we always think that there's this, this key to life. We think there's this magic pillow. We think there's this, like we've been fed the bullshit of, of media and, and everybody around us that there's this one thing that's going to help us. There's this one thing that's going to get us where we, where we want to go. And that's just so far from the truth. Like it's just not there. There is no magic pill. And when you understand that, you can go, okay, I just have to do the hard work, right? Yes. Yeah, hard working consistency and discipline. Yeah, I love, I'm looking at your website right now. I love that you have your values listed there. Um, something that I work with the guys that I, that I work with that I say a lot is that, you know, not all men need to have the same values, but every man needs to have values. And to me, that is a unbelievably masculine trait is like having a code of whatever it is, right? And sticking to it when under fire or when things get tough. I just want to read yours out. And I'm curious if you want to just kind of wrap on them a little bit. Um, yeah. On your website here, it says you got gratitude, resilience, intuition, and tenacity. Can you talk a little bit about each of those and what those mean to you? How you look yeah, those out? Totally. So, um, so my my brand is Building Grit. Um, it's it's just it's just embodies who I am. Um, and so, grit is gratitude, resilience, intuition, tenacity. And gratitude for me has been one of the biggest practices for me to. Um, let go of all the things that are not serving me, right? And so when I get into this place where I'm like, oh, whoa, it was me, and I do it often, and I still do it, I still, this is stuff that I practice daily. When I have gratitude for things, when I really am just like, man, what, like, I, and at times I use stoicism, this like, I'm grateful, and then look at what other people don't have that I have, right? Um, and so I believe that when you're grateful for what you do have, then you get yourself into more of an abundant type of mindset. And when you have an abundant mindset, things come to you freely and, and they flow to you more, more easily, in my opinion. So, um, and then resiliency, like never quit on yourself, right? Because you like the only person you have is you. And if you quit, you're never going to get what you want. 
And here's the thing is that quitting is just as painful as doing the thing that you don't want to do, right? Because if you quit, you're going to stay right where you are and you're going to be right in your, in your shit and you're never going to go anywhere. So if you're resilient and you push through, if you push through the uncomfortableness of things, then on the other side of that is this bliss, this amazingness, right? Um, if you look at the brain waves, we have the beta, the high beta brain waves is the highest frequency right before gamma. Gamma is actually the highest frequency in our mind. And this is what the yogis would consider enlightenment or bliss. And the important reason, the reason it's important to know this is because that when you understand that right beyond monkey mind, psychosis, is this state of, of blissfulness, of enlightenment, right? Then you can understand that you have to work through your pain and be resilient to get to the thing where you get to have a woosa, right? Uh, and then intuition, lean into who you are. I was, I was so absent from who I truly was. I didn't feel my emotions. I didn't allow my intuition to arise. And your intuition lives in your body. And so when you learn to connect with your body, then you can actually allow yourself to use that intuition in a good way, right? Um, you can't let your heart lead you off a cliff. You still need to use this dude up here once in a while together. But when you have this using your mind with your intuition and your gut feeling, when you combine those together, you have this super powerful ability and skill that not a lot of people have. And so um, leaning into your intuition, in my opinion, is super, is super powerful. And then tenacity, be tenacious in everything you do, right? Like really, if you're going to do it, go all in on it. Be you. Don't like, don't just sit back and half-assly go into something. Because if you go half-ass into it, you're going to get half-ass out of it, right? I, I mean, this is like, you know, being a Christian, this is where, um, you know, God says that if, if you're lukewarm, it will spit you out, be hot or cold, right? And so I'm choosing to be hot or cold. Like either it's for me or it's not for me. And that's okay. I'm not going to be in between. And when you're tenacious, that's how you live your life, right? So those are the things that give you grit, in my opinion. That's how you get to grit is embodying those things. So I think that's wonderful. Really well said. I'm curious, what do you see as, this may be a big question, like the cause or what's going on with, I think there's a lot of men, young men out there that are very lost, right? And I think they struggle to find values. I think they struggle to build grit. I think they struggle to really go all in on anything, right? They're kind of half-ass on a lot of stuff. Um, they may they want to go all in, right? But maybe their perfectionism gets in the way or they procrastinate or they kind of fall into like hedonism, like pleasure seeking, right? They you know, smoke weed or drink too much or something like that. Mm -hmm. um, what do you think is going on with that? Because I just see that, I see that so much, right? I think with guys our age, with the younger generation, even the older generation, I think a lot of men are like really lost right now. Totally. Um, I think lack of mentorship, yeah, lack of um, having somebody to show them, right? Because we all have blind spots. Um, you know, we have the visual blind spot. The visual blind spot correlates with the blind spot in our mind. This is where we don't know what we don't know. And so I think there's so many men are just, they, nobody showed them. Nobody showed them what that looks like. And we need, we need people to show us. Like I needed somebody to show me my blind spots. This is why I have coaches. This is why I have mentors because this is why I have counseling with my wife, with myself, like, because I need people to show me the things that I can't see. And so I think it's just a lack of having someone to show them. And 
being open to other opinions or other other ideas. Like I, I spent so much of my life so close to anybody else's ideas, right? And so when I started to be open that maybe I was wrong, that's when my life like really opened up. Like, oh shit, maybe I'm thinking about this wrong. Maybe it's maybe it's uh, you know, the men's work has been huge for that. Like whatever I see in other men, it's what I, it's a lie. Well, well, and me, like learning that was huge, right? And so when you start to just be more open and have mentors and do the work, this is where I think that that men are missing it. And you're, I mean, you you work with men; they're difficult to get to do this work for sure. Extremely difficult. Like women, I get them to come to my breathwork sessions all day long. I get on a I get on a call with a man. They're like, Ooh, I don't know. Maybe uh, maybe in December. Maybe next month. Like, what? When are you going to do something right now? Like, you know? Yeah, I think a lot of guys. Again, I think it's conditioning, right? It's brainwashing. Like the guys I see, I see them at their lowest point, right? It's often a divorce is probably one of the bigger ones. Um, you know, a big drug incident, right? Um, PTSD, right? Like I see guys when they are broken. And when they reach out to therapy, it is like a last resort for them. And, you know, I do have a handful of female clients and they're so much more motivated. And I think they're more sensitive to knowing when things are off and they'll come in just to do kind of like a checkup, right. And be like, oh, you know, something in my relationship is a little bit off or something in my work is a little bit off. I just want to talk to somebody about it. Whereas I think for a lot of guys, like we need that kind of sledgehammer to be like, listen up, you got to change something now because it's like either talk to somebody or die. You know, and it's it's crazy that it gets that intense. And that was true for my story. I mean, I, I'm uh, I'm in, I'm sober. I'm in recovery. For me, it took an overdose and took like intense, you know, horrible consequences from being a drug addict to really even be a little bit curious about this stuff. Um, totally. It's wild how hard it is for us to ask for help. Yeah, for sure. I mean, again, it goes back to that programming. It goes back to the programming from when you were a little boy. All the messages that you learned, all the things that you learned, and you know, and then you had nobody to help you through that. It's really unfortunate. Yeah, I think it's the same thing that you went through, right? The idea of like, if you ask for help, you've, especially from another guy, you've like given that guy some power in a way, like you've you've become subservient to him or submissive right. to him. And like, he's better than you. He knows more. But like, I don't know, when you talk about mentorship, that's the beauty of mentorship is like, yeah, there are guys that know better than us. That's They've been around longer. They've had real experiences. They've like made some mistakes. Like we should be celebrating that we can get to talk and access these guys. Rather than totally. having some like entrenched ego that I know I had for a long time. Absolutely. You know, if you look at old cultures outside of the United States, they all have elders, mm-hmm. right? Like all these other cultures that are still tight knit cultures, they have elders in their, in their cultures. And we don't have that. We don't have community in the United States and we don't have elders. Mm-hmm. Like we don't, it's just not something that we've embedded in and embraced. And if you look at the cultures that are the happiest, in my opinion, um, they all have elders, they all have community. We're missing it as Americans, in my opinion. Yeah, I I agree. I agree. Um, so you talked, we actually talked a little bit over the break that you're part of a um, Christian-based or faith-based like men's organization. Mm-hmm. And I have to imagine that brings in community and elders. Is, is that true? Like how, how, totally. are, how are they doing that? Um, and yeah, so we interacting with that. We, uh, we have a men's group that we meet um, three, three Tuesdays uh, a month. Um, and we do a lot of this deep work. Um, we do a lot of this, like looking internally, like, okay, where am I showing up in my life and how can I show up better? We do emotion check-ins. Um, we call each other out. We challenge each other. We challenge each other's thinkings and we uplift each other. 
like all of it. Right. And so um, having community and men to be able to be vulnerable with and be open and honest and just like, Hey, here, here I am. This is me. And this is all of me. This is all the stuff that's going inside of me. And I don't share this with anybody, but I'm going to share it with you guys. Right. There's power and vulnerability. There's power. Then that's how you get to show no shame when you're fully vulnerable uh, and you understand that whatever somebody else thinks about you is none of your business, then you can feel no shame because whatever they think about you is on them. It's not on you. If you have been fully vulnerable and shared all of you, because at that point you've shared all of you, like here I am, this is me. Right. So that's where the power is in that, in the men's work like that, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And I think that level of openness and brotherhood, right. Of knowing that like, yeah, these guys might call you out, but it's, from a place of love, right? And from a place of being on the same side. And I totally. think that is what um, masculine love really looks like. Is that challenge? Is that holding accountable? It's kind of like setting the bar. You know, the way I talk about it with my guys, it's like designing a challenge that isn't so hard that you fail. So they kind of like laugh at you. I think that's like bullying, right? Or designing a challenge that's too easy that it just doesn't respect you. Right. It's like finding that like right level of challenge. Right. I mean, just how, you know, with exercise, if you're lifting weights, right, you have to be right on that edge of your capacity in order to grow. I think a really strong men's community can be constantly bringing those challenges and celebrating the wins of its members. Totally. 100%. 100%. I mean, it's been the, I've been being with men has been the most powerful thing for me. Like being with other men who are vulnerable and raw and real with me, like, and be seeing, like, oh, I'm not alone. I'm not alone in my struggle. I'm not alone in the things that I'm going through. Like, so, I mean, that's where the, the suicidal ideations, mm -hmm. you feel like you're completely alone. Yeah. You feel like you're the only one. And then when you realize like, oh man, I'm not the only one. There's so much power in that. There's so much power in that. Right. Cause you can't say like, oh, like this guy's successful. This guy seems fine now. Like if he's okay, I can probably be okay too. Right. Totally. It's, it's I think really, really powerful. Um, so it's making me think, I'm curious. Right. So if you could go back in time, right. And you could be the mentor to yourself as you're entering the firefighting service um, that you didn't have, right? If you could not be the guy who was the captain who said, just like suck it up, essentially. Like, what would you have said to yourself in that moment? Just be open to other people's thoughts, like be open to other things and be open to the world that you are so close to. Um, because when I started to be more open to things and realizing like, honestly, man, it's so funny. Burning Man is what really opened my world. Uh, it was one of the biggest opening moments for me mm -hmm. um, because I was at this place where I would usually have so much judgment too. And um, then I realized how nice the people were. And so I wish I just would have, you know, wishing is not the best thing to do, but if I could go back, um, I would definitely say to myself, like, just be open to other people and other things. Yeah. So I'm hearing, I'm hearing like humility there. Totally. Right. Of like not believing that you got it all figured out. Um, I'm so curious because I actually love, even though I'm not a religious person myself, I'm raised Jewish and I studied Buddhism. So I guess I have, I have my own version of it, but um, I love talking to religious people or faith-based people because I think when done right, it's incredibly powerful and moving. So when I think of humility, I, I go straight to a faith-based practice. And I wonder if that's something that you link in your mind. Totally. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a lot of it is just being, yeah, just being humble of, of who you are. That's, I mean, that's a lot of, that's a big piece of me. Like that's a big, that's one of my powers is that I'm humble, right? I'm strong. I'm a loving warrior and I'm humble. 
and I'm, I'm willing to admit when I'm wrong. I apologize to my kids when I mess up. I apologize to my wife when I mess up and I own my shit, right? Because I, I believe that's what a true man should do. I agree, right? I mean, we have to be strong enough to own all parts of us, not just the ones that we like. Totally. Um, how do you how do you practice or cultivate humility? Because again, this is a little bit of my story, but what really got me stuck, I think I said it before, right? But it's really that like grandiosity ego that really got me stuck and cynicism, thinking that like I was smarter than everybody or had shit figured out or everyone was like a tool or they were a sellout. Like I was just like really bitter for a long time. Um, and I had to bring humility into my life. Um, how do you, how do you bring that into your life? How do you practice humility? Um, you know, honestly, hum, being humble is one of the things that I, I feel like I've always done. Okay. Um, yeah. And so what I, what I do is I like, even when I was in the fire department, I, is I would look at um, the people that are, they're, that are doing a good job. Right. And I would, and, and, and I would study, I study everybody. I study everybody. And I take the things that I, um, that, that are good. And then I leave the things that are bad. And then I look at myself and I go, Ooh, am I doing this thing that this individual is doing? Right. Is that why, is, is that why I'm, I'm so bitter or was something why I don't like them. And so I always evaluate when I'm looking at people of like, okay, uh, I think the humility comes in and okay, I see this thing in you, but oh man, that thing is alive and well in me. And when you can do that, I really think that's like the biggest state of humility. Like that's being so humble of like going, okay, I don't like you, but it's because I don't like this thing that I do too. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That was the one of the biggest mind trips of my whole therapeutic journey was understanding the third word for that is like projections, which I'm sure you know, but for our listeners out there, it's like you can project your undesirable traits or, or shadow parts is actually a better way. Like parts that you deny onto others. And yeah, like you said, you're only seeing them through a filter. So if you're seeing those negative parts, it's because there's something in you that doesn't like that in yourself. Cause you don't know these people. It takes you like, you know, a year or two to really know somebody to truly know somebody vulnerably. Um, so up until then, it's all just kind of projection and shadow and kind of uh, a mirror for lack of a better term. You know? Totally. Yeah. So, so I'm wondering in the work that you do now, what are the types of people that you really like working with and, and talking with? Oh man, the masculine man who thinks he knows everything. <laughs> okay. It's my favorite. Yeah. Because I can see straight through them because I was them. Yeah. Like, and so, and they always break down like the best, like mm -hmm. to see the transition from this like macho, I'm better than everybody. I know everything. And to see that, and I can, I can, I can see straight through all of them. Like, and it's, it's such an amazing thing for me. Um, because I'm the man that most men um, wouldn't be able to, to touch the men that I can, right? Because I have this ability because I came straight from from where they are. And so I see them, right? And so I just love helping them see who they really truly are. Like it's so fulfilling for me. Yeah, because you can cut through all their kind of projection, right? And all their kind of like insecurity. I think, yeah, once you've lived it and you can see it, it's so clear. It's so <laughs> All the clear. posturing and like peacocking and like chest puffing yeah. up, right? It's so clear where that comes from. In fact, there's sometimes where I just, I can't even hang out with some people. Like some of the old circles of you hang out with, I'm like, I just can't do it with you guys because I'm not in a piss and match. It's not my style. I yeah. don't like drinking. It's just not me anymore. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you can see that kind of masculine, like, um, like 
alpha dog thing, right? Of like, who's totally. who's the toughest guy? Who's the strongest guy? Who's like the guy with all the answers, right? That kind of like battle that shows up. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. What are some ways that, that you cut through that? Because actually some of my guys in my men's group talk about that. Of I think like in the more toxic or maybe less conscious masculine spaces, like that dynamic happens a lot where there's this constant competition. I just let them do their thing. Like mm-hmm. I just let them run their mouse. And eventually what happens is they always talk themselves into a corner. Like if you just let them be masculine or what, you know, this unconscious masculine or whatever toxic masculine, whatever we want to call it, if you just let them do their thing, eventually they're, they're going to show themselves. They're going to show their true colors. And so I just let them do their thing because I just, I really don't give a shit. Like, I don't care about what you have. Like if you're going to be a dick and you're going to be alpha, whatever, dude, like you do you, I'm doing me. Like I'm, I'm just not part of that. And so I just sit back and just wait because eventually it's going to come out. Yeah. Eventually they kind of like burn themselves with their own fire kind of thing. Exactly. Yeah. You don't have to fuel the gasoline with that. No, I'm just not doing me any good. Right. Like, I've learned some of the men that I've worked with, like you just, there's nothing you can say. Mm-hmm. There's nothing that you can show them that they're going to, that they're going to be open to. And so you just have to wait for them to yeah. break down and eventually they soften. And then they realize like, Oh man, you told me all these things. And I'm like, yeah, I've been telling you for a while. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You can just like kind of plant those seeds and hopefully they get harvested down the line. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's, that's where, again, I think that, you know, one thing is just lead by example, mm-hmm. right? Like I, I am super vulnerable. In fact, in my yeah. group, in, in in my group, the men are always like, "You are the most vulnerable man I know." Um, because I just don't like, I just don't care what other people think about me. Like I'm just honest and open, right? Because I've learned that when I'm that way and I'm leading that way, that other men will fall behind eventually. And and, and unfortunately, when you're a leader, you get burned sometimes. Yeah. And so there's been a lot of pain that's come with that. Yeah. There's been a lot of relationships that I've got burned because I was super vulnerable, but I'm okay with that because I would rather be honest and open and vulnerable and be the true me than sit back and live a fake life. I'm not doing that anymore. I did that most of my life. Yeah. I'm out on that. Yeah, you don't want to live in that prison anymore, right? Of just like being controlled by what other people think or not even that, what you think other people think, right? It's like two levels of distraction where it's like, you don't even know what they think and feel. Yeah. Yeah. Totally, man. <laughs> yeah. And it just, it's like, whatever, whatever. If you guys need to do your thing, like, okay, right on, man. Good on you. Like, I'm not going to let that affect me anymore. I did that. It didn't work for me. Right. right. And I would rather feel pain than feel nothing at all. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I've learned that this numbness that I had, that wasn't serving me. I would rather feel the pain because I know, again, on the other side of that pain is the bliss. Give me the pain. Bring it on. Because I know... And when I go through the pain, I'm going to have so much good on the other side of it. Yeah. And you know that you're alive, right? Like if you're feeling something and Mm -hmm. what I've found, it sounds like you're kind of saying the same thing is like, if we squash down the pain in the short term, that feels good. Cause like, okay, I'm not feeling pain, but then you also squash down the bliss, right? You squash down everything because the brain is kind of dumb in that way. Like it's very clumsy and that it's just going to tamp down everything. It, It can't really pick and choose of like, I want, I don't want any pain, but I also want a lot of happiness. Like we're not really able to, to do that. Totally. hundred percent. Yeah. So, so I'm wondering as we're moving towards the end here, how would you give somebody um, like a practice or a tool to build grit in their lives? Say that they really want to 
practice this and they want to move into this mindset? Like where's, where's some place that they can really start? Mindfulness. Like that is where the vast majority of my journey started was I just started to be more mindful of the things that were going on around me. Um, I'm sure you're familiar with the five, four, three, two, one. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you can just stop and and do the mindfulness practice where you, there's five things that you see, four things that you hear, three things that you smell, mm-hmm. two things that you can touch, and then one thing that you can taste or something that you're grateful for. And so when I started using that um, practice, that's when I became more present with myself. And then once I became more present with myself, I discovered who I was. And then once I discovered who I was, then I could really start to implement that and, and, and put it into, into practice and, and take it to a whole nother level. But I think that that's like being mindful, honestly. It's the most simplistic way to start. Mm-hmm. Right. It's just like opening up, slowing down, tuning in. It sounds like and starting to turn like the mirror inwards. You know, totally. um, again, it's like a lot of these guys, me included, probably you, like we pride ourselves on how we can like figure shit out. Like figure out the world, figure out a home project, figure out our job, whatever. But like we don't try to figure ourselves out. Like totally. it's all external. But like with that power that we have, like what if we turned it inwards? How incredible would that be? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So we're about to wrap up here. Um, I'm curious, Nick, where could people find you online if they want to learn more about you, what you do, about the book, about the podcast? Let, let it rip. Yeah. So I'm make it super simple. So not to confuse anything, just go to nickwingo.com. Um, I've got all my social on there. Um, I do a podcast with my wife. It's called the walk is one podcast where we share that my wife does a lot of the same similar work. Um, she does it with women's work. And so we nice. just share our journey on our podcast of like, Hey, this is what we're going through and this is how we're working through it. And this is how we're coming together. It's a walk is one. So I appreciate you uh, having me on the podcast. Thank you so much for the opportunity to speak with you. I, I really enjoyed this conversation. Yeah, it's a great conversation. I definitely want to have you back. Um, we're going to be definitely talking about more like men and masculinity topics. And I think really getting that message out there to guys because we, we need it. Like you said, we need role models. We need to hear from guys that they're not alone and that there is work to be done in this emotional realm, right? And understanding like who we are and how to uh, wake up, right? How to wake up from the conditioning that we've had so that we can be more powerful, right? And be more capable and be better, you know, husbands and fathers and workers and athletes and everything, right? There's a way to be better and it's kind of turning inwards. Um, So yeah, thank you so much for joining. Um, If you're listening to the podcast, uh, thanks again for your support. Uh, Please give us a five-star review on Amazon, on Amazon, on Apple. We're trying to build those up, Um, sharing it with a guy that you know that might need to hear this message, um, directing them to Nick's website. It's a phenomenal resource um, for guys looking for, especially those masculine guys that are pretty entrenched. Um, I think he's phenomenal working with them because he can speak their language. Um, So yeah, thanks again for tuning in and we'll see you next week. Another episode of From the Ashes. Thank you for joining host Mark Azoulay on From the Ashes. Be sure to tune in again live next Friday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel or subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. Meet triumph and defeat and treat those two imposters the same.